Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a calm conversation on hopefully a mundane topic. I know some of my listeners have been saying that they enjoy the topics and they find it intriguing. That's not what we're trying to do. We're just trying to have a calm conversation. But if you do find this particular episode interesting, I hope you're able to just sit back and enjoy it. Thank you for listening. My name is Marco Timpano. And joining me today is a friend who happens to be an award-winning playwright, screenwriter, and now a novelist. His first novel, Thunderbolts and Dunderheads, a mythsterically funny novel by Todd McGuinness, is adapted from his novelization of the award-winning farcical stage comedy, Thunderbolts and Dunderheads. I want to welcome... Todd McGinnis to the Insomnia Project. Welcome, Todd. Thank you very much, Marco. It's great to be here. Okay, before we go any further, I need to know what a mysterically funny novel means. Well, I'm a cheesy marketing kind of guy, and I <laughs> love to make up words. Uh, Thunderbolts and Dunderheads is a novel about Iris, the goddess of rainbows, going to Mount Olympus for a promotion. And then her day goes horribly wrong from there and hilariously wrong from there. And uh, I was trying to indicate in the title, you know, that it's a funny book or whatever. And I was like, it's a hysterically funny book. And I was like, no, wait, it's a myth hysterically funny book. Because so great. Greek gods, you know. Of course, of <laughs> course. And um, what is your favorite myth, Greek myth? Oh, hmm. There's so many. Uh, I, I would actually probably say it is. Um, oh, I was going to blank on the name for a moment. Uh, Sisyphus. Oh, uh, the myth of Sisyphus. And uh, part of the reason it's my favorite Greek myth has a little bit less to do with Greek mythology and more to do with uh, Warner Brothers cartoons, because there's a really good documentary I saw with uh, Chuck Jones, who was the creator of many of the greatest Warner Brothers cartoons and characters, Bugs Bunny and Wile E. Coyote. And, uh, and he was talking in that about how Wile E. Coyote was conceived as Sisyphus, the character who is eternally rolling a boulder up a hill only to have it roll back down and he has oh. to start again. Uh, and I've never looked at Wile E. Coyote the same way since. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Your book is available on Amazon if anyone wishes to go out and read this mythsterically funny novel. 
and um, we will have it in our show notes, the link in case anyone is dozing off and doesn't want to write it down. Is that all right with you, Todd? That is absolutely wonderful, yes. I wanted to talk about your piano playing cat that you do duets with, and you <laughs> refer to this style of music as cat jazz. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, cat jazz is something the boy invented. Uh, I refer to him as the boy. His actual name is Mr. Burns. Um so it's a Simpsons-themed thing. Uh, he's a very, very affectionate and very curious orange tabby. And uh, I've been teaching myself piano for quite a few years now. And I go down and sit and practice and enjoy playing. And for a while, he used to sit on the piano bench beside me and just sort of stare at my fingers as I was playing piano. And then he sort of moved on to kind of meowing at me while I played piano. Okay. Which made me wonder if he was trying to sing along. Uh, and then it evolved to him jumping up on the keyboard at random points and walking around on the keyboard while I'm playing piano. Uh, so, and I was like, are you, are you trying to jam with me? Is that what's <laughs> happening? Uh, so, and what would happen is every once in a while we would have a day where I'd be you know, if you get practicing on piano and you get really into what you're doing and you're playing a song and you know, I'm having a day where I'm, oh, I'm going to get through this whole song without any mistakes. And then without any warning from nowhere, this giant ball of orange fur comes flying through the air and lands on the piano keys uh, and, you know, spoils the take, but makes me laugh a great deal. So he's, uh, he's started playing. And at one point I commented, my wife, I said, I think he's going to just start playing without me soon. And oh, one night we were lying in bed to, I think we were just drifting off to sleep and suddenly some very loud piano playing started happening. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's, he's taken to improvising on his own. He doesn't need me anymore. <laughs> is there a particular jazz artist that Mr. Burns is into? Well, I'm just going to guess based on the style of his playing that he's kind of a Miles Davis guy. I see. <laughs> it's definitely a cool cat is what you have. It's, it's all improv home. and it's never the same thing twice. <laughs> <laughs> I understand you also play fetch with your cat, which is something unusual as far as, you know, cat and human uh, relations goes. Absolutely. Do you have any pets? No, we don't have a cat or a dog in the house, but my mom has a dog and we often refer to the dog as our pet. Mm -hmm. That's oh, he's, he's the best kind. He's, he's like an adopted one that you can send home when you're done with him. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, we have, um, yeah, our, so our boy uh, likes to play fetch with, uh, you know, those little balls that they sell in the pet stores for cats, the little ball with a bell in it. And it's kind of like a little plastic cage with a little bell inside that as it rolls, the bell continues to jingle. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And, the, and the, you know, a lot of people are sort of like, why, why do they even make cat toys? Because cats generally don't play with cat toys. We, we, we had, we got a few when he was very small and we had a few from previous cats that we'd had. And initially he never played with cat toys. He'd only, you know, like many cats, he would only play with things that he wasn't supposed to, <laughs> you know, he, the mouse of your computer, uh, pens, binder clips, cutlery on the table that should be on the floor, that sort right. of thing. So, you know, typical cat. And uh, one day I was working on a play with my writing partner at the time. And uh, 
we suddenly heard this ball with a bell in it sort of bashing around downstairs. And uh, we sort of looked at each other like, what's going on? Cat came walking up and uh, brought the ball over to me and spat it out like, okay. like a dog, like dogs that I'd had when I was a kid sure. would do. So I picked it up and I threw it, went down into the, threw down the stairs into the downstairs area. He ran after it like a maniac and came back. And I thought, you know, he's a cat, you know, that that'll be it. Like 13 retrievals. Wow. I've, I've had several dogs and, uh, and the ones that I've had, they fall into two camps. One camp will return it three or four times. And then after that, it turns into a game of keep away. Right. Where they run around and make you chase them. <laughs> and the other one was that we'd had was a border collie, very, very clever dog. Um, and if you threw a ball, he'd run and get it and bring it back to you. And if you threw it again, he'd look at you like, that's weird. And then he'd run and grab it and bring it back again, but slower. And if you threw it a third time, he'd look at you like, what's your problem? And then he'd walk over and lay down beside the ball. His attitude, I guess, was, well, clearly you don't want this. You keep throwing it away. So I right. I'll just lie here and let you know where it is. But yeah, so Mr. Burns frequently plays uh, fetch for long periods of time. Wow. And uh, it taught me something about the mindset of cats, which is sometimes you start playing with a cat and you think, oh, they're bored. They're done. And then you go off for 20 minutes and do something else and you come back and the cat picks up the game where you left off. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, they're, they're the opposite of dogs. They have the opposite of whatever ADD is. <laughs> it's 20 minutes later. He's like, okay, let's keep playing. Right. I was like, oh, really? I, I thought we were done with that game. Yeah. They have a very long attention span. So, which I guess. It sounds like you have a very special cat. He's, he is a pretty special little boy. He, uh, he actually adopted us out of the forest up at our family cottage. Oh, really? Yeah. We found him. He, we, we didn't find him. He found us. I was, uh, we were, we had some friends over and we were barbecuing and I heard this really loud meow and I, I looked and coming out of the woods over on our neighbor's property, I, like I heard this loud meow, like there was a, a cat coming in, but I couldn't see it. And the meow kept getting closer and I still couldn't see it. It was closer. It was louder. And then I suddenly looked and realized there was this teeny weeny weeny little kitten um, who was racing towards us. He was scrawny as anything. He was, <laughs> he was very, very hungry. And uh, anyway, yeah, he came right out of the forest. I, I obviously smelled food and thought, well, I guess these people will feed me. And uh, so he ran over and uh, ran up onto the deck <laughs> immediately tried to nurse from my friend's dog. Um, okay. Which, uh, which fortunately the dog was a very good tempered Sheltie <laughs> and, uh, mostly just looked at the little kitten. Like, what are you doing? You're just, uh, you're just trying to cramp my, my mooching style. So right. Anyway, um, but anyway, so he, uh, we picked him up and he was this little scrawny teeny lean little ball. We took him in. I immediately knew we were adopting another cat. And, right. uh, anyway, so we, we kept him and uh, took him to the vet and the vet was astounded because he said, he said, it's pretty impressive because he said, there's no way he's more than seven weeks old. And he said, based on the number of ticks that I had pulled off of him and the fleas and various other things that the vet sort of looked at, he goes, I'm pretty sure he's been on his own for at least two weeks. Oh, wow. Goes, anyway. 
Well, that's wonderful. What a wonderful story of how Mr. Burns came to you and uh, the fun that you two have been having. Yes. Both uh, playing fetch and playing jazz, which I think is incredible. He has just arrived in the room and decided he wants to be on the podcast. <laughs> oh, that's not never a problem for us. We love pets. Oh, and I think I, I think I just heard him. Did you hear him? Yeah, yes. that's awesome. Um, <laughs> you, Todd, you also. <laughs> I guess he right on cue too. What an intelligent cat! I have to say, he's he's a real showboat. He's wow, showboat. he has now oh. climbed up and is hanging over my shoulder. So if Amazing. that spoils the audio, let me know and I'll get rid no, of it. <laughs> it should be perfectly fine. Uh, let me ask you this: You also like to sculpt out of is it Fimo or F I M O? Yeah, Fimo. It's a uh, it's a modeling clay. It's been around for a long time. And uh, back in, I don't know, long time ago anyway, 90s, late 80s, 90s, a friend of mine, his older brother is an incredibly talented artist. And he made uh, all kinds of neat little crafts with this modeling clay. And it's a modeling clay that comes in all these different colors. And you can combine them to get like sort of neat marbly techniques and so on. Um, but the beauty of it is when you're done modeling, it's like plasticine. And okay. when you're done creating whatever you create, you just bake it in your oven at a fairly low heat for about 20 minutes or half an hour. And then suddenly, uh, like it, it hardens into, uh, you know, a finished product. Um, so you can make something, you know, you can keep remolding it until you've got it right. And then, uh, and then you can basically just bake it in the oven and harden it. And the next thing you know, you've got a finished little sculpture. So, so you, your oven acts like a kiln in a certain sort of way. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so which, which is nice because it saves you the uh, kiln fees <laughs> right. of, of real sculpting. And uh, yeah, so I, it, I was just intrigued by that because I remember one of my earliest memories going to school, I think, I think it was the first day in kindergarten, was that they had plasticine and they let us play with plasticine. Sure. And I was transfixed. I loved modeling things. Um, I remember making what in my mind, in my recollection, was a perfect replica of the Flintstones car in plasticine. Oh sure. And, uh, and I think I made a Flintstones house out of plasticine. And uh, I was very into the Flintstones, I guess. And, it sounds like it. Yeah. And uh you know, so anyway, that was, those were in the days when it's like you, you walked home from school at lunch, you had a sandwich while you watched the Flintstones and then you walked back to school. Yes. <laughs> and that was a thing in my neighborhood. So, uh, anyway, um, yeah, it was this, uh, fantastic, um, uh, sub thing that I loved working with. And then as happens, you grow up, you find other interests and you forget about things. And then all of a sudden one day I saw my my friend wearing this really interesting looking um, brooch that sort of looked like a really old man's face, but it was incredibly detailed. And uh, that was when he told me that his brother had made it and he made it out of this substance called Fimo. And uh, so I, I bought some Fimo and started working with that and uh, made a bunch of those, made a bunch of weird looking heads and all kinds of little sculptures and Christmas tree ornaments and, you know, little gifts for people and stuff like that. So it's, I find it very relaxing. Oh yes. Uh, it's a very Zen like thing to work with. It's very tactile and uh, I just really enjoy working with it. 
And uh, I remember when I was a kid, there was this advertisement for this modeling clay called Das, Das modeling clay. I remember that. And I remember I wanted it so bad and uh, never, never, ever got it. I remember being quite pricey. And, yes, uh, it, it was. It, and I, I had the same experience. I remember seeing okay. the ads and I was like, I really want that. And I didn't get it because it was pricey. Yeah. And I it, I don't know where it was from. I want to say like a Scandinavian country because I always remember the commercials being a little bit different than what we were used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the only recolle- recollection I have of that particular modeling clay. I, I think I remember it being gray. Like it wasn't, I believe with Fimo, you can get different colors. Yes. But yeah. with this one here it was just like a gray or a terracotta kind of color. Yes. And you, then you were meant to make things out of it and then paint them. Oh, okay. Um, which uh, I'm not a I'm not particularly adept at painting, so uh, that would also have made it a no-go for me. So uh, I I liked working with Fimo because I'm like, okay, I want this to be these colors. And uh, okay, my cat has decided that he wants to attack the microphone. (laughs) He just wants to make his presence known. He really does. It's very important to him to be the center of attention, Um, which on an audio podcast, he's unaware that no one can see him which is too right. bad because he's really showing off right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I got into a modeling clay. Do you have any hobbies like that? Uh, do, do you work with uh, like arts or you crafts? Know, um, you know, I do. I'm very crafty. I'm very, um, I've got a good artist hand, if you will. Like I'm pretty decent at doing some artistic things. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, I've mentioned this on, <laughs> I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I um, had a a kit of a gingerbread house for Christmas, and um, I didn't do it for Christmas. So, you know, they come in a box, and they're pre-made, like the house sculpture is already pre-made. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just have to take everything out and start decorating it. Well, I got busy around Christmas, or I didn't get to it. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to make a Valentine's Day gingerbread house. So this morning I got up, opened the package. It was, of course, sealed in like a cellophane or like a cling wrap. So it was it was still fresh, I guess, fresh enough. I don't think gingerbread necessarily goes bad. But anyways, it's February now and I'm doing something that I should have done in December. But I started decorating and putting little, little cinnamon hearts all over it and those little candies that say be mine or marry me or whatever it is all over it. And... Uh, my wife came down, Amanda, and she saw, and she's like, this is what you've been doing since seven this morning. I'm like, yes. And she goes, it looks really, really nice, actually. So I'll take a photo and I'll put it on our on our Instagram page for people to see. But that's what I did this morning. But I do have a, like, I'm, I'm a good calligrapher, and I'm pretty good when it comes to cutting and pasting, if you will. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I admire people who can do calligraphy. I uh, mm-hmm. My my handwriting started out terrible and got worse uh, <laughs> as life went on. So um, I I can occasionally I actually had a calligraphy set at one point and I worked on practicing it and I would find that um, the problem seems to be patience because I could make with the right head of the pen or whatever I could make shape the right capital letters and I could make each individual letter look nice 
when I was doing on the practice pages, you know, they give right. you those practice yep. pages with the lines and the examples. And I'd be, oh, okay, I can do this. And then I would get, you know, the proper piece of stationery and attempt to write on it. And I would get about three letters in and then my hand would do something weird. And I'd be like, hmm. <laughs> I clearly would make a terrible monk in the middle ages. Mm. <laughs> It'd be like, who, who drew this? This is a sacrilege. You have ruined the Bible. You, have you ruined cannot, the Bible. you cannot, you, you cannot go on. You, you cannot go of, on scribing. Yes. Get out of the monastery. Perhaps, perhaps un, unless you can brew beer, get out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that, that was not my draw writing. Um, calligraphy was not my forte, but that's the, the beauty of sculpting, especially with materials like Fimo or, clay what have you is you're shaping it into what you want and if you make a mistake and it isn't what you want you can often repair it reshape it change it you can just keep working it it doesn't until you get what you want as opposed to certain kinds of painting or drawing where if you make a mistake you've kind of ruined it um, right and uh, and i so i love that i love the trial and error aspect of it i did a uh, plaster of paris project last year for the first time uh, and took a sculpting or yeah, yeah, sculpting class. Uh, and, uh, we had a, they had a couple of plaster Paris projects that you could do. And one of them was to bring in a bunch of items that meant something to you. Um, and you sort of press them into the plaster of Paris, which is in a mold. Okay. Uh, and then, so you, so you have like a little square mold, uh, and, uh, it's, filled with plaster of Paris and maybe about an inch or two, um, sorry, 2.5 centimeters or so you, so you took your various objects and you would press them into it when it was, uh, sort of, it was beginning to sort of set. So it had kind of a, uh, uh, interesting texture to it. And so I brought in a bunch of items from, uh, toy items from my childhood, from a GI Joe set that I had. Okay. Um, and uh, I don't know if you'd remember this. This will, depending on the age range of, this will be a fun flashback for some sure. people. Um, G.I. Joe used to be a toy doll that boys loved. He was a soldier and he was like a foot tall. Um, he was, he was quite tall. Um, sure. Much later on, they made little teeny versions of them. And there was a set you could get with G.I. Joe, which was the curse of the mummy's tomb or something like that. It was the search for the, an Egyptian tomb. And it came with a little like Tutankhamun like sarcophagus and, uh, and a bunch of archeological dig tools like shovels and picks and so on. So I, uh, I combined all those elements and I created this artifact with the sarcophagus in the middle and, uh, a pickaxe and a shovel and I uh, used a little circle to create the impression of a, a sun. And I, I used some triangles to create the impression of pyramids. So I was creating something that's called, it's called a, a bas relief. I think, okay. that's how you, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, and uh, basically, so it's sort of a three-dimensional picture. And, uh, and then when I was done with it all, and it, it actually worked out and it looked really good. And then I sprinkled it with this kind of copper paint and then brushed this other sort of copper sandy toned paint over it and effectively what i did was i created a fake egyptian relic from using impressions from a bunch of my gi joe toys when i was a kid and uh, it turned out really nice <laughs> that's pretty amazing it's it's a pretty cool artifact i i quite like it i have it on display in the front hall i'm very proud of it it's my big artistic accomplishment <laughs> 
I love that kind of stuff, like, because you can make things that you treasured when you were a kid kind of come back to life in a different form. Yeah. And admire them from, from a different perspective. Yeah, it was very cool. And I sort of, uh, I included enough elements, I think. I think there was a little, I also had a little owl statuette, little pewter owl statuette, which looks kind of like, uh, I'm going to forget the name, one of the, uh, in part of Egyptian mythology, there's an owl. Anyway, um, but anyhow, I, I want to say Horus, and I'm sure that's wrong. Anyway, <laughs> I put this little owl as part of the picture and stuff like that. So there's the owl and the pyramids and the sarcophagus and the shovel and the the pick act or the pickaxe for digging and so on. It came out quite nice. It was wonderful. that's wonderful. It's very. I find it very. It's odd because you create something like that. It's very a tranquil, like I said sort of earlier, it's a tranquil sort of Zen experience. But what was interesting to me is that when I look at it, I recapture the feeling of creating it. It, it relaxes me just to look at it, which is kind of interesting. I didn't expect that kind of phenomenon. Do you find that when you look at anything that you've created? Do you, does it bring back associations for you? You know, I did once, you know, those Ukrainian Easter eggs, they're called Pinsky, I believe. Mm -hmm. where they're like intricate colors and intricate designs. And a lot of them have black as a major sort of color theme in them. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's very, um, you know, true to the Ukrainian traditions. And I always wanted to know how to do them because there used to be a sort of, I forget what they were even called, like a Heritage Canada commercial or something where they were making these eggs in, I want to say Saskatchewan and Northern Saskatchewan, where there's a big Ukrainian population. And I was always fascinated by that my whole life. And it turns out I happened to be in some store, some art store or something, and they were selling the wax and the tool that you need to make these eggs. And so I bought a book on how to do it. This was before you could find out how to do things on the internet. There wasn't YouTube at the time that I was making these. Mm -hmm. And I brought them home and I started to make these really beautiful, intricate Pinskys or uh, Ukrainian Easter eggs. And it's a long process. It's a long, arduous, painstaking process of putting wax on your egg, dipping it and dyeing it, and then taking it out where it has this color. Let's say it's all red. Then you apply wax on it again, and you dip it in a different color, a darker color. And so whatever you covered with wax stays red. And whatever you've dyed now changes to the next color. And you keep doing that till you get to black and you dye the egg black. And then your egg is covered with wax. So you have to melt the wax off with a candle and not burn your egg and just constantly wipe the wax off the egg until you reveal the design that you've made. And so wow. each egg took me so long to do. And I have them in a little bowl. And they sit there and they're really intricate. And um, I love looking at them because I remember how long and how painstaking. And they're really beautiful. And it was my only attempt at ever making them. And uh, someone picked one up and broke it. And I was really upset by it because it had taken oh. me so long to make, right? And I guess they didn't realize it. And they're fragile, so they shouldn't be played with. Right. But um, yeah, when I look at them, I remember everything that went into making them and how long it took. And I think I'll do it again, uh, but it took so long. And, you know, I think I was cross-eyed by the end of it. 
that um, I haven't ventured into doing it again, but it, it, they, they do come out quite beautiful. And you are kind of proud when you see them. At least I am when I see them, my, my, my creations. Yeah. It's it. That's a, yeah, that to me is the real motivator is the pride in creation. Like mm -hmm. anything that I do, the, uh, it, like even with like the book that I just, that I just finished, uh, the Thunderbolts and Dunderheads, um, I designed the cover myself because oh. in one of my many careers, I've been a graphic designer, but I did the, uh, and part of the reason I did it was because I didn't want to subject any perfectly decent, normal human who's a graphic designer to having to deal with me as a client. Right. Because, okay. Because I have a very, I had a very, very clear idea of exactly what I wanted. And I think when you, if you have a vague idea, you're like, Hey, I kind of want a cover that suggests this or that. Then you're a good client for an artist because then the artist can try and satisfy your sort of vague idea. Sure. Uh, but if you have a really absolutely clear idea of what the picture is going to be, if you can, you should draw it yourself because otherwise you're going to drive some poor graphic designer crazy because what you really want to do is draw it yourself. Right. And uh, so I was like, and although my, my drawing skills are limited, but fortunately uh, um, computer technology enables me to compensate for my weaknesses. And uh, also I had a very simplistic idea. I wanted to create a very sort of cartoony childlike cover um, to try and convey the sort of silliness of the novel <laughs> right. so that nobody would pick the novel up thinking, Oh, this is a serious treatise on Greek mythology. Right. And then be horribly disappointed when <laughs> a whole bunch of silly things happen. <laughs> I, I try to, I, I do my best for truth in advertising, but every time I look at the cover of it, it makes me smile because it's just so childlike and silly. It's a, a basically the image on the cover is a, a sort of, if you think of like little Lego figures, like or little Lego people from the Lego movie, um, like little, little round yellow heads. Right. So it's, it's like Iris, the goddess of rainbows is depicted as a little round yellow head with like a triangle body. That's a, her rainbow colored dress. And she's sort of screaming and running away from Zeus who's up above some clouds, holding some thunderbolts in his hand, ready to throw the matter. Right. And, uh, and it's just, I know it might sound like an alarming image, but it's actually just an adorably cute kind of hilarious image. I, right. I, I don't know why, but I find it very, very funny. <laughs> well, it sounds like you, you made your client happy. Yes, I did. I, I was like, and, and, and he was remarkably uh, easy for me to deal with. That's <laughs> <laughs> so great. Well, listen, you can pick up a copy of that book on Amazon called Thunderbolts and Dunderheads a mysterically funny novel by Todd McGinnis. Dodd, it's been just so wonderful having you on the Insomnia Project. We've come to the end of the episode, if you can believe it. I can't thank, thank you so much for having me on. This was so much fun. I actually do love listening to this project. And I find it very, I don't have insomnia, but I find it very calming and wonderful to listen to. So it's part of my regular listening now. Oh, well, thank you so much, Todd. You know, we have so many people who listen just just for the fun of listening to it or they find it relaxing they'll listen in the morning when they're getting ready for work or school or whatnot so we appreciate all our listeners and uh, thank you for being a part of the show today my pleasure thank you for having me as always we hope you listen and enjoy i guess is the right way to end this one because it sounds like todd's not gonna sleep and if you don't that's great too until next time i'm marco timpano <laughs>